In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized Jesus and rushed about that, that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Today's gospel makes or gives this remarkable testimony to the divine power that God made and makes available in and through Jesus of Nazareth. It reminds us of an earlier passage in Mark's gospel that we read a few weeks ago in which a woman who had suffered from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind Jesus in a crowd and touched his cloak, having faith that she would be made well. In that account, Mark tells us that Jesus sensed power going forth from him. What are we to make of such incidents? We usually see them as miracles, phenomenal examples of God intervening to alter dramatically the course we would expect nature to take. These have occurred on good evidence in all ages. One of my favorite examples, known as Mrs. Mattingly's Miracle, happened in Washington, District of Columbia, in March of 1824. Anne Carberry Mattingly, a 39-year-old Roman Catholic widow with two children, seemed beyond the reach of medicine. The cancer, which had begun seven years earlier, was literally eating her, her up and she felt extremely weak and miserable, and death seemed near. Seeking a miracle, however, her family and fellow church members offered nine days of intentional prayer, known as a novena, which would culminate in a mass to coincide on the tenth day of the month with one in Germany, offered by a famous priest associated with healing miracles, and on that day, he had said he would uh, specifically dedicate the Mass to the healing of sick people outside of Europe. Just as the Mass in Washington um, ended in the wee hours of the morning, a priest brought communion to Mrs. Mattingly, whose extreme sickness made it doubtful that she could physically receive it. She cried out, Lord Jesus, thy holy will be done and struggled to swallow the consecrated host. When she finally did so, with people praying all around her, she sat up, stretched her arms, and exclaimed, Lord Jesus, what have I done to deserve so great a favor? Her pain left her, her symptoms were gone, and she got up and walked around to the astonishment of her, of her family and friends. She lived for 31 more years. Given the considerable evidence from that time, we can hardly doubt that what we commonly call a miracle occurred, just as miracles had happened 1,800 years before on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In all these cases, healing power came 
from the direct presence of Christ. But we need to put such events in context. Otherwise, it might seem that God plays favorites or that God's power cannot extend to other situations where miracles seemingly do not occur. The best theological understanding of miracles that I've run across comes from Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury. Of course, he doesn't pretend to fathom this mystery completely, but he interprets miracles as times when circumstances allow God's power, which is always working for good, to have its full effect. Things are fast-forwarded, so to speak, so that God's ultimate purpose for all of creation is realized in a particular situation. Healing, life, peace. God intends that in every situation, but in some it, is, it, it becomes uh, the reality. Williams writes the following in his book, Tokens of Trust. God is always at work, but that work is not always visible. God is always at work, but sometimes the world's processes go with the grain of his final purpose, and sometimes they resist. But if certain things came together in the world at this or that moment, the flow would be easier and more direct. Perhaps a really intense prayer can open the world up that bit more to God's purpose so that unexpected things happen. We are never going to have a complete picture of how that works because we don't have God's perspective on it all. But we can say that there are some things we can think, say, or do that seem to give God that extra freedom of maneuver in our universe. All we know is that we are called to pray, to trust, and to live with integrity before God in such a way as to leave the door open to let things come together so that love can come through. Beautiful idea. Love is trying to come through. Love is knocking on the door, and we need to live in such a way that the door is open so that love can have its powerful effect according to God's will. The particular miracles to which we can point, and we all probably have stories of miracles that are in our lives or that we know about, they are more, they are more than we usually imagine. And these particular miracles are part of the larger picture of God's power working constantly to fulfill glorious purposes beyond anything we can ask or fully imagine. They're signs of what is to come of the larger picture. For us Christians, the iconic example of our loving God breaking through the barriers inherent in the created order is the bodily raising of Jesus from death to eternal glory. And this is something beyond what we read about in the Old Testament or say Jesus raising his friend Lazarus. That is the uh, bringing uh, back into mortal life of somebody. This is beyond that. This is, this is um, uh, um, raising of a dead person into a new kind of life we can't begin to fathom that is eternal, that is glorious. And we see this resurrection 
of Christ as revealing God's powerful, loving determination to bring all creation to fullness of life. You know, the New Testament says Jesus is uh, the, the firstborn of, of many. In one Eucharistic prayer, we call him the firstborn of all creation. That is the new creation that God is, uh, is accomplishing in Christ. That points to what is to come and to, some, to an extent what is already happening. What happened to Jesus, we believe, will through grace happen to us as God works God's purpose out, overcoming all barriers to life and love and peace. We have an amazing eschatology, our vision of the end times. Read that section in the Catechism of the Prayer Book. It's a, it, it is just an amazing picture of what God is aiming for and will accomplish through Christ. We already enter into a foretaste of that new and eternal life when we are united with the risen Christ in baptism. And then we, we as uh, members of his body, we receive him in the Holy Communion, which continues that flow of power in our lives. And, and, and then we look forward to the ultimate fulfillment of this eternal dimension in the life of the world to come. But it's already started. We can see it by faith. And so it, and I love the statement of one Episcopal bishop who was asked if he had been saved. And he said, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. It's an ongoing thing, but we're already caught up in it. We and all the world need so badly this good news, this gospel, that is expressed in one of our Easter prayers, that things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and all things are being brought to their perfection through the power of our risen Lord. A new day has begun. A new creation in Christ. And needless to say, there are many obstacles in the way of the fulfillment of this plan. We look around us and see tyrants in the world today, oppressing people, just as there were in Jesus' day. We see war, injustice, disease, natural disaster, hatred, division. There's a lot still to be overcome. We need help now as much as ever. But we are here today to celebrate that God's power is able to overcome even these and other obstacles. That's what St. Paul is talking about today in our epistle, where he expresses faith that God in Christ could overcome even one of the most deeply felt divisions of his day, that between Jew and Gentile. Even in the church, that was a problem at that time. And let's, you know, that's, we're talking about all humanity. We're either a Jew or a Gentile. And so um, there's, a, there's, a, 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 there's a barrier to be overcome. And Paul declares that Christ has done the seemingly impossible, has wrought a miracle. Here's what we read today. In Christ's flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. 
he has done nothing less, Paul says, than to create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. Well, the power is there. Sometimes it's realized, the, this, this overcoming of division is realized. I was just thinking after I gave this sermon the last time, what about the Holocaust? You know, what about the horrors that are the opposite of what Paul is celebrating? But with God, all things are possible. And the power is available uh, through the gift of God in Christ. And so together, Paul says, we who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, no matter what the differences among us, can be one body. And spiritually and collectively, nothing less than a dwelling place for God. Isn't that gorgeous? You know, that we all together, as well as, indi- as individuals, can be a dwelling place for God. Write one Eucharistic prayer, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. So if we could live that out, if we could preach that well in our lives as well as in what we say then, this place would be full, where the people would realize the hope that is ours in, in the gospel. And so thinking about all this, I thought, wow, now I'm kind of understanding more why this Syrian Orthodox nun that I encountered in Jerusalem was so on fire when she said, we have a great, powerful God who is doing wondrous things. I don't know about you, but I I don't quite have hold of that all the time, (laughs) that faith and that hope, but wouldn't it be great if we move toward being that enthusiastic all the time. In Christ, the peace and unity and fruitfulness envisioned in the Old Testament is being and can be fulfilled in these last days. You know the image of the wolf lying down with the lamb, the strong not devouring the weak, everyone sitting peacefully under a fruitful vine and fig tree the way you're doing today. Um, That vision that seems impossible, God makes possible. For us Christians, this is not naivete. We're not ignoring all the obstacles. It's not simply wishful thinking. We know all too well the challenges God's people and the whole creation face. But we are hopeful because we believe in a God who has shown God's self to be mighty to save and who because of God's great love for us has promised never to leave us or forsake us even in death. And of this we have evidence. And we pray that in and through us that evidence may be made manifest more and more.